Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Beyond the Fence podcast. And today we are talking all about the NBA draft and joining me, special guest from Wildwater Sports, Krista Silva. Mate, how are you? Good, mate. It's been been a long time. Um, uh, miss having a chat with you, but um, no, it's good. Uh, draft <laughs> is just under a week away and getting slowly more and more excited by the day. Oh, you think you're excited, mate. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, last time we spoke, it would have been like, yeah, about four years ago when I had you, I guess, for sport, duke it out with a fellow Cavs fan in the hottest online basketball quiz on the internet. Yes, it was. It's safe to say that the, the Cavs franchise was in a, in a different space last time we spoke. Um, <laughs> certainly nowhere near the lottery. Yeah, well, exactly, yeah. So for those of you that don't know Chris, yeah, obviously he's a, a long-time Cavs fan since 2016, I think. <laughs> Come on now. Um, no, I was actually around – I came in at the worst possible time. I, um, For anyone who doesn't know the story, I actually got into basketball around, um, around the time LeBron's free agency, the original one, happened, so when he went to Miami. and And – I just felt really sorry for this Cleveland team and just seemed really interested in what sort of, I guess, laid ahead for, for this franchise that had never won. And I guess I was just drawn to that. And, yeah, here we are. You, you were drawn to the illusions of failure. I was, yeah, I was just drawn to another toxic relationship as as I tend to with all, all pretty much every team I follow in any sport. It's just a toxic relationship. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, also, like, Liverpool before, like, the last two years was pretty barren and Essendon's always, like, a bit of yeah. a disappointment. Yeah, yeah. It's just that it, there's a common theme in my life when it comes to sporting teams. It's just uh, I seem to enjoy the pain they put me through. <laughs> <laughs> At least you had Murley for a few years. Yeah. Look, look to be honest, I have, I have enjoyed success. Um, I, I can't lie, you know, obviously you mentioned 2016, uh, the Reds have won, won a few trophies in the last few years, um, and we had Sri Lanka's golden era, so it was pretty good. Um, but, yeah, I guess the circle for the Cavs, at least now, is is on the downturn. But you know what, man, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah, Cleveland's back to where they belong, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> It's like, you know, nature's healing, like they're back to, you know, the normality. Um, but yeah, so obviously both our teams are in the draft lottery because to be honest, they both sucked last year. Yeah. Um, some more than others. And for the first time in history, so the Pistons went into the draft lottery with the second worst record behind only Houston. But yeah, they'd never actually moved up in how long the lottery's been going in its current format. So it's good to know that the first time they've moved up, they've made it count. <laughs> no doubt. But also Cleveland, they've got they've got this thing for moving up as well. Like, I've, when was the last time they didn't move up? That's it. Um, well, we. It's funny actually. It seems it seems as though they've moved up every lottery they've been in, but they've actually since the NBA um, flattened its lottery odds, the Cavs have actually been on the wrong end of some luck. Uh, so they had gone down in the last two years um, where they ended up with Isaac Okoro last year with the fifth pick, 
um, and then Darius Garland the year before that. Uh, they also went down from, I think, three to five. So um, it's fair to say that Cavs Twitter is certainly not a fan of the lottery odds and have, have not been so <laughs> uh, until this year where we were lucky enough. I think we were projected to be either fifth or sixth. We, we lost. We were actually equal with uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder and then lost a coin flip. So we had the sixth best chance of the number one pick and luckily we went up. So I guess uh, losing the lottery, losing the coin flip, I'm sorry, uh, actually worked out well. Yeah, so you were fourth and fifth, just looking at the thing. So yeah, the coin flip got you into fifth, but then yeah, up to third. Um, yeah. What was the year that you rose from like basically nowhere to get one? Was that the Wiggins year or the one before with Anthony? That was, that was unfortunately. Oh, no, it was the Wiggins year, actually. Yeah, it was the Wiggins year. Um, I remember that year sort of we had, we had actually tried to make the playoffs and uh, we had bought <laughs> Mike Brown in and bought Jarrett Jack in and it was all about trying to make this playoff run because... Um, in. Yeah, it bought Delhi in, um, who was, uh, he had impressed Mike Brown in training camp. And it was all about that year trying to impress LeBron James, who was going to be a free agent. And I remember there was a, there was just this feeling of doom that once they didn't make the playoffs, that they wouldn't get LeBron. Because I guess, why would he come and join the team that had nothing to offer? But then, yeah, it was a lottery night that sort of changed it all. And I think um, I think Brian Windhorst, it is, who has said, because um, you know how the lottery takes place during the conference finals. And yep. the Heat were actually in Indiana to play a game two um, of the 2014 conference finals. And Windy says that the energy around the Heat just changed completely once the Cavs won the lottery. It's almost like uh, they sort of knew what was what was about to transpire, which is obviously knowing what we know now, which is, it's pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, it's like, because obviously winning the lottery got you Kevin Love effectively and yes. it just allowed all this momentum. Yeah, it's crazy yeah. how things happen. Yeah. Yeah, it was it's it was a crazy few months. I remember um so Cavs beat writer Jason Lloyd, he had he used to do this uh article called Final Thoughts after every game. And we we had made a late run because we that season we actually traded for Luol Deng as well. Um and we made a late run and I remember I think it was a game in Orlando where we had a chance to win and they had either Orlando or Atlanta, and they had pretty much all their starters out. I think it was Atlanta. Anyway, they they'd sat Horford, Millsap, all those guys, and Mike goddamn Scott lit us up for 32 points and <laughs> extinguished all playoff hopes. And then um, Jason Lloyd, in his final thought of the Final Thoughts article, wrote, LeBron is not coming through that door. And I just, I've never felt so doomy in my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then two months later, what do you know? He, he writes this Sports Illustrated letter. So yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a wild few months there. Yeah, no doubt. 
Um, Cavs weren't the other team to move up into the top four. Toronto, you know, that really downtrodden franchise as well. Yes. Uh, you know, coming from, from seventh up to fourth. Um, I've yeah. always found it odd because obviously you've got the lottery reps. And like when a team sends a player to like players actively yeah. hate the lottery because like you like they don't want to get a guy that's gonna replace them. It's just weird yeah. to me. It's like Fred Van Vliet just like celebrating them moving up and like possibly drafting a guy who could end up replacing him in like two years. Um, <laughs> yeah, they also get yeah. to move up. And that's like pretty much accelerated their soft rebuild. Yeah. Well it's funny. I think one of the one of the lotteries that the Cavs won, I'm pretty sure Kevin Love was there representing the T-Wolves. Um, and <laughs> now he's like, a, he, he's probably going to get his jersey retired by the Cavs, which is pretty crazy. Oh, let's, let's tangent on that for a second. Who else on that team gets their jersey retired besides LeBron and Love and probably Kyrie? Is it just those three? Uh, well, does Kyrie I even get it retired? There's, a, there's an argument for Tristan, I think, just because if you look at the jerseys that the Cavs have retired, it's not the most prestigious list of players. You know, you got, <laughs> um, for, for instance, Zidrunas Ilgauskas. He, he means a lot to the Cleveland organization because of the longevity. And he was a two time All Star. But, um, you know, when you're thinking about all time grades, Z's name is not going to come up. So uh, I put. Tristan very much in that same category. Um, I think it's just he might get retired just for the fact that he was a he was a big part in that title run, um, and and he just for the longevity he was with the franchise for I think uh, eight what was it eight or nine seasons. Is there any bad blood with Kyrie that would prevent his jersey getting retired? I don't think so. I think. Um, what we saw this year was, which was his first game actually in Cleveland uh, since his first game for the Celtics, where Gordon Hayward broke his leg, as we remember. Um, and well, thanks for bringing that up. You know, he, yeah, and he was given he was given a standing ovation, and he and they gave him his tribute tribute video. And I don't, I think the relationship there it's it's only going to get better with time. Um, so well, I thought it was a strange decision, actually, to give Colin Sexton number two when they did. Um, but I think, yeah, I think as time goes on, you know, we, we're talking five, ten years from now when when these guys are all out of the league and they're retiring the jerseys, I think Kyrie's number two will go up. Yeah, I don't like... There's only so much. Like the guy did hit some of the biggest shots in franchise history. I don't think the relationship was that bad, but you know, yeah, absolutely. Like you said, it's all, it's all a time thing. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Are the are the yeah. are the Pistons going to retire Andre Drummond? <laughs> you, you shut your mouth. <laughs> that's I, I know that's say, one, like, I know that's one jersey <laughs> the Cavs are not going to retire is Andre Drummond's number three. Ah. <laughs> uh, it's like, speaking of retired number threes, obviously there was no doubt that we were going to get that number one pick when they sent their malls to the lottery. Like, in my <laughs> mind, there was just absolute like, And even if they didn't get it, you know he was going straight on the phone to Mark Tatum after and being like, hey, this, you know who I am? Yeah. I, ben Wallace's 
Ben Wallace's reaction when Detroit got number one was just just brilliant. Just just had that one finger up, and and just yeah. he he didn't he didn't yell nothing. He just had that finger up. It was it was uh, brilliant. Yeah, it's it, again, it's such an odd concept to like celebrate because like you're celebrating being crap, but like yeah. obviously this. But the thing is, like in a draft like this, where like there's this probably as close to a consensus number one without there actually being like because there's always going to be that narrative about like uh, people doubting Cade Cunningham etc. But like yes. for all intents and purposes, he is the the consensus number one guy. And like so. in a draft like this that's so top heavy, getting the pick of anyone it's to, for a franchise as tired as Detroit. And we'll get to this in a in a little bit, but like yep. they needed this boost and like just yeah getting this chance to to darko it up is it's amazing. Yeah, I, I think for me, I actually it was funny when when we moved up, I was I was just happy to be in the top three. And so when our the Cavaliers card came out at number three, I was thrilled because you know we had gone from expecting to be picking from the likes of Jonathan Kamingo or Scotty Barnes or Davion Mitchell, you name it, to you know, having a chance at whoever falls to us out of uh, Cunningham, Jalen Green, and Evan Mobley. Um, but on the flip side, when, when yeah, well, there you go. But uh, when, when uh, Detroit's uh, card came out at number one, I was thrilled, you know, because I think it's important for the league to have a guy like that go to a franchise like Detroit that has you know, it's, it's fair to say it has struggled for the last few years and hasn't really had that star that can put put uh, bums on seats, if you like. And it's it's very similar to yep. very similar to Lamelo Ball going to Charlotte. We see how much he's energized that franchise already just in one season. So um, I think it's great that great result for the NBA um, that Cade is most likely you know, going to go to the Pistons and and also, importantly, going to an Eastern Conference team. I think it's important, you know, for we've talked about for however long that the imbalance between the two conferences and it's because um, it's fair to say that teams in the Western Conference have probably had better luck when it comes to getting these transcendent guys at the top of the lottery if you're talking about, you know, Sion going to New Orleans and AD going to New Orleans. Um, you know, so in terms of just conference balance, I think it was good for the league to that Cade went to not only to the Pistons, to a franchise that desperately needs a star, but also to the Eastern Conference as well. Yeah, Towns obviously another one going to the West to like another yes. lower down team. But like, yeah. you've got these stars living throughout the West, you're right. Um, yeah. Speaking of lottery luck, we've obviously the teams that have moved up, a couple of teams got unlucky, Minnesota and Chicago, both yeah. as a result of moving down, losing their picks through protection. So we'll quickly run through the first one, Minnesota, their pick, which ended up uh, falling, I should have had this up in front of me, seventh, going straight yeah. to Golden State as a result of the D'Angelo Russell trade from yes. last season. Um, yeah. 
So that for anyone needs a reminder, the trade was D'Angelo Russell and a couple other guys, uh, Jacob Evans, Amari Spellman, going to Golden State for Andrew Wiggins, the 2021 first rounder that was top three protected and the 21 second rounder. Um, yeah. Rough news for Minnesota. Yeah, it's, I mean, this, this trade, when it happened, had a, had a bit of sort of what, what, are, what, are, they, what are they doing? Um, that was the initial reaction from a lot of people. And I think it was with good reason because everyone knew um, this draft class from a year, year or two out, we knew that it was going to be strong. So for a team like Minnesota who, who you know, they're not – I mean, they've won – well, they haven't even won a playoff series. They, they made a playoff series in, what was it, 2018 with Jimmy Butler, but – even that was their first playoff series in about 14 years, I think, and since since KG. Yeah, um, so, 2006, I think it was. Or, yeah, yeah around, so, around that time, yeah. Yeah, so for a team with that sort of history, with no no real history of making it to the playoffs to suddenly deal away a draft pick, even though it was pr- protected, just seems strange. And especially for a guy like D'Angelo Russell, who, yes, he, he is talented. He has made an all-star game, but he has very real flaws in his game. It's not like he's going to immediately come in and lift, lift your floor. So, yeah, it was a baffling decision at the time. And um, I guess I guess a positive, if you like, for the Wolves is that this pick actually didn't end up being higher and being sort of just out of the protection range and falling at number four where now the Warriors could have really got, you know, a blue chip prospect. Yeah. Um, you say that like it was a bit of a what are you doing trade. I think because obviously every, at the start of every season, the outlets love to like put together their trades that they think will happen during the season. And I think yeah. if you're looking at like the Mount Rushmore of most obvious trades that were going to happen like months out from them actually happening. Yeah. This was this was up there. Like I don't think anyone ever for a second doubted that Russell was going to end up in Minnesota. Um, There's no question. I think the the problem for Minnesota was that they they probably made it too obvious that they that they wanted D'Angelo <laughs> Russell, and I think that played into Golden State's hands because they were like, yep. "Okay, well we know you want this guy, so basically give us X, Y, and Z." and and Minnesota being Minnesota said, say less. And yeah, it was just, it was just doomed from the start. Um, yes. And I guess if you're Minnesota, you're sort of glad now that everything I think that was meant to convey from this trade has, has conveyed. And in, in a way, they're probably very lucky that they got some lottery luck last year and were able to get Anthony Edwards through the door. And I think he'll be a, a brilliant you know, young player over the next few years. So, yeah, yeah not, not great, Minnesota. Just lastly on this one, um, Golden State, do you reckon they end up even taking this pick? Because you know, they've probably got a couple of years left of prime Steph. Is it really in their benefit yeah. to bring along another young guy? Yeah, well, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because I've heard, you know, a range of things regarding this pick. There's, um, it was... Mark Stein reported in a in a podcast with Chad Ford recently that he believe uh, you know executives around the league um, and agents of of players in the draft are basically being 
sort of told that, hey, look, it's probably not going to be Golden State picking picks 7 and 14. So um, read into that what you will. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, last year was a phenomenal, phenomenal season for Steph Curry. And I think um, it showed that, look, this guy is still really, really, really good. But at the same time, he's... 32 and he'll be 33 at the next finals so um you know he hasn't he hasn't got got long left and you have to put whatever you can around him um and there's also the not that we expect Steph to leave but he he can opt out I think at the end of this season if I'm not mistaken um don't uh I'm not 100% sure but you know, there there is a chance that hey, Steph could sort of hold hold their feet to the fire and say, "Look, put some more help around me." I think both him and Draymond last year probably had a bit of frustration that um, that it was them two, and then it was a bunch of kids. So, yeah, I think if I had to put my house on it, I would say that no, Golden State are not going to take be selecting pick seven and 14 for players to come through for their franchise. Yeah, that seems like the short, the favourite. Um, oh, I just had something I was going to say and I've totally forgotten now. That's, oh, that's right, yeah. No, just... Yeah. Um, no, you, there you go. You, no, you finish. It was just, I mean, in terms of Golden State, then you have to think about, okay, well, if it's not them, what what is the deal out there that's going to get done between now and July 29th. And, you know, is it, is it Bradley Beal? Is it Dame Lillard? Is it um, Ben Simmons? Um, out of all those, I, I mean, those three are sort of the big names that are available that Golden State would seem to want. Um, out of those three, is there any that you see that are likely to get done between now and then? Oh, the, it's tough, isn't it? Because Lillard's at the Olympics. Yes. I must have told totally, so, yeah. so he's at the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, well, it's not anymore. Bill got uh, taken out because he got sick, remember? He got replaced oh. by um, uh, Kelvin Johnson. Yes. And then, yes. yeah, Kevin Love was out for Javon McGee. And, you know, Ben Simmons is locked in a gym somewhere shooting 4 and 20 ads. Um <laughs> It's it's tough because out of those three, like logically, Beal is the obvious number one option because you don't really like. What's the point of having Steph and Lillard together? Um, yeah. Or Steph and, and then I guess conversely, what's the point of having Simmons and Draymond together because they kind of do the same thing. Yeah. Um, just you know, um, Draymond, I guess in theory can shoot the three, but that's gone downhill a bit recently. So Beal's obviously yeah. the number one choice and. You know, and Washington even, outside of... And even Beal is not Beale a perfect haven't really fit. Got much. No, he's not. Yeah. He's very ball dominant. Yeah. So I think I think if you're Golden State, I mean, ideally, they would have loved to have, you know, a, a, let's say a Jimmy Butler sort of player or a, or a Kawhi Leonard, you know. That's the sort of guy that would be the perfect fit. But unfortunately for the Warriors, that kind of guy is just not available um, at... No, no team, no team is looking to obviously give up a wing like that. That is, you know, every team is trying to actually acquire a wing like that. And also, there's doesn't seem to be any star wings sort of agitating for a trade. So, 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see what gets done. Yeah, well, I mean, there's something that's been thrown out is, um, and obviously I'm in my little Detroit echo chamber a little bit, but people keep yeah. trying to trade Jeremy Grant away from me, and I don't like it. But I guess yeah. if you're looking on that tier down from the, the, the Butlers and the Leonards, he's probably that kind of guy. He's obviously not on their level. Um, yeah. The thing with Grant, though, is that he, like, he deliberately, deliberately chose Detroit for so many off-court reasons. And I yes. don't think they're going to trade him a year after signing him, you know, to like their marquee style deal. Yeah, it's not a great look, is it? No, you're, like you spend so long in this league cultivating reputation that will help you down the line. So for Detroit to like play on the um, the, the black coach, black um, uh, GM in a black city um, yeah. to bring this guy out, because he, he had the exact same offer from Denver remember yeah and he ended up signing with detroit because of all these social reasons um yeah, to them right. yeah turn around and just deal him uh, after a year yeah optically it's not great because as the league is as much about um you know who you know and like what people think of you rather than you know just straight up money absolutely and i think i think if you i mean we all expect Cade cunningham to come through the door in detroit you know you want to surround him with real nba players you don't want him Cade to come in and suddenly have to try and lead three, two other lottery picks, you know? So I think having a guy like Jeremy Grant there is actually going to be very important for Cade's own development and, you know, for the development of Killian Hayes, who you got on that roster. And, and I think it's, in, it's important. We've seen, you know, with, with Atlanta in these playoffs, it was a great example of this, that, the value of putting, you know, established veterans, you know, specialists around your young players, I think is very, very important um, for not only the team success, but for the development of the player themselves. Yeah, you don't want Cade coming into a team where like Sadiq Bay is the veteran. That's just not going to end well. As, no. as good as Sadiq Bay was last year. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, we, we saw it, I mean, not to talk about the bring up the Cavs again but you know with with Kyrie Irving when he came through the door he had very little veteran experience alongside him and he's spoken about you know how how difficult that was for him and and really probably stunted his growth in a way even though he developed really well um it probably stunted his growth because he built up a lot of bad habits because he didn't have veterans around who who were there to teach him better, you know? So, yeah, I think um, even though on the on the surface of it, dealing a guy like Jeremy Grant, who's probably probably not in the same, you know, the age demographic that you want uh, for when Detroit's going to be contending, um, trading him for a, for two more lottery picks or or one or whatever the case may be. It, on the on paper, that seems like a great deal, but um, unfortunately, NBA is not not played on paper, and it's not it's not two K, and it's not about just acquiring assets. I think there's a there's a very real human element um, that you touched on that is important. Yeah, and you even say that like it's not like Jeremy Grant's old; like he's only just turned twenty seven. So if we think like by the time these young guys are ready, he'll only be. Uh, well, he's 29 when his deal expires. So yeah, 
It's, it, and also, just a fun fact, his actual first name is Houston. I did not know that. I just looked him up. Houston. So you've got James Christian Middleton. You've got Houston Jeremy Grant. <laughs> That's incredible. Is that because... So is he's, his dad is not Horace Grant, is it? Uh, no, his dad was Harvey. I think. Okay. Uh, yeah. Is, so yeah. Is there, so Jeremy Grant is... is, um, is there, yeah, what's the... Uh, I'm wondering if there's like... If he's called Houston because of the city. Like, is there some sort of... Yeah, I don't well, know. Well, he was born in Portland, so... <laughs> okay. No, that rules um, that out. But it's yeah. funny. So, yeah, so obviously, he, uh, tangent now. Um, but, yeah, he's got um, his brothers, Jeray Grant, um, who played yes. the Sydney Kings briefly. His actual first yeah. name is Harvey. So it's Harvey Jeray Grant. And then right. you've got Jaron Grant, former point guard for Washington, Orlando, Chicago, New York. Um, his actual legend. first name is Holden. Okay. So, so yeah, they're actually all they're actually all HJs. Um, they're all Hungry Jacks, but they've just they go by yeah. the J. Dad must have really liked Hungry Jacks, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, what I what I did want to say before we moved on to the next part, um, there's just a couple of internet bullies trying to force me into trading number one pick to Golden State for Wiseman seven and fourteen, and I'd like them to stop if they're listening. I know who they are. I, yeah, that seems like a. I'm I'm always confused by by Golden State, you know, fans or Twitter or whatever. They seem to think that this Andrew Wiggins like is a positive asset. And and I'm like, I don't understand. I don't think he is. He had a great season, don't get me wrong. Um, he had a really good season alongside Steph this year and you know, shot the ball well and stuff, but I think at the same time, you're probably that that's a contract that you're going to have to give up an asset, you know, in order to get back. It's not a positive value asset that you're giving to a team. So, yeah. I, yeah. Oh, no. 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 Well, I guess that, that flows nicely into the next point I had on our little sheet, which is talking about the top three strategies, like the top three teams. Um, yeah. I guess from your perspective as an outsider, before I give mine, do you think there's any argument for Detroit to trade down, trade out of number one? Look, I think, you know, if you're Troy Weaver, you would be. It would be. It's incumbent upon you to to see what's out there, you know, because Detroit is a is a team that is at the very very start of a rebuild. So you know, you're in that position where you do want to get as many as many assets as you can uh, in within your within your franchise. But at the same time, look the the whole point you rebuild. And the whole point you you tank and you is is so you can get a guy like Cade Cunningham. So um, yeah, you you know you if I'm Troy Weaver, I'm I'm fielding calls you know right up until the draft. But it's it it uh, the reply would be thanks, but no thanks for me. I think you take you take Cade Cunningham and and you roll. Yeah. So here's here's how I look at it. Um, yeah. No, I would not trade down. I don't think there's any offer out there that would get you to trade down. But the thing with this is, um, we've mentioned timelines. There's not like this team <clears throat> is already super young. Like you've got guys like Josh Jackson who are like you know the up there in the experience range on this team. You've got you know five guys drafted in the last two years. In, you yeah. know Seku, and then the four guys from last year. 
Um, Jeremy Grant's your like big ticket, and he's still only twenty. What is it? Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. But more yeah. than that, this franchise has been, you know, middling mediocre, pretty much since two thousand and eight, when the the Cavs pretty much ended that era, that team. Yeah. Um, you've, you've drafted guys like Brandon Knight, um, Andre Drummond, Greg Monroe. Um, you know, you've passed on like guys like Devin Booker for Stanley Johnson. You pass on, uh, <laughs> I was going to say Dagan, uh, on Donovan Mitchell. For, it's hard to talk about, I know. But you pass on Donovan Mitchell for Luke Kennard. That um, you, in, yeah. In hindsight, it hurts. I was all on the Kennard train, let's be honest. I um, remember, I remember, yeah, like, see, I remember seeing seeing the the Canard support um, coming across my timeline, but I think that that support has not aged well. Well, when we added Canard, we were adding him to this team that had, um, you know, had just made the playoffs a year before drafting him. They had a, a dodgy sixteen seventeen, but you were adding him to this team that, in theory, you know, had Tobias Harris, Drummond. Um, uh, oh, I'm blanking now. Um, Reggie Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. And you were adding this shooter to that. So, like, the, the logic was there that it was going to yeah. be. Um, it just didn't, didn't work out. It's funny um, that I remember. So, so the Cavs swept the Pistons in the 2016 playoffs, but that, I think, was a very, very well-contested sweep. It was, a, it was four really close games. And I remember leaving that series thinking, hang on, like Detroit's got something here, you know, and and Drummond was really, really young. I don't think he had even made an all-star game yet. Um, and the future he, I think he's first all-star year. Yeah, 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 you're probably right. Um, but, you know, he he was a bright, one of the brightest, you know, young bigs in, in the league at that time. And Reggie Jackson was a dynamic guard. And, and so you, you left that series thinking – okay, like Detroit, you know, one or two moves here and there, and listen, they, they could be a team that, you know, makes a second round, makes, if things break right, make the conference finals. But it, it's, it's crazy to say, see how five years later it's, it's so different. Yeah, Marcus Morris was the guy I couldn't remember. I knew there was another guy. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so this team has been, like, basically hovering around that 7-8 ceiling for ages. So if you yeah. take out all the all the on on court stuff, people just in Detroit, um, up until pretty much now, just did not yeah. give a shit about the Pistons for the last ten years, <laughs> and like they were always hovering around the bottom of the league in attendances. I remember uh, straight after they cut Josh Smith, was probably the most excited this crowd has, <laughs> this fan base has been. And that was that, like the biggest addition by subtraction ever. But like everyone was cheering. Like the, the fans started coming back. I remember there was a game against Atlanta because that was when Atlanta were really good um, with the four All-Stars. They lost the game in the end, but it was like yeah. the most intense I've seen that crowd on TV in my active time watching the team. But then, yeah, you finally, you've got this momentum, I guess, from the last year. You've hit on, you've hit on two draft picks, definitely, in Sadiq Bain, Isaiah Stewart. And Julian yeah. Hayes, it's early to judge because of his injury and he only played about yeah. 20 games or so. Yeah. But like for all intents and purposes, was like widely regarded the best like playmaking point guard in the last draft. And he's and one he's of the younger players. Size at 6'5". 
he's he one was, of the yeah, he was, yeah, 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 yeah. You build on that momentum. You build on that momentum. You add all these young guys, and then you you win the lottery, and the fan base is just like on fire. And you can add Cade Cunningham. Yeah, you've even like traded for these guys like Hamadou Diallo, who is like really good. You've got this hometown kid coming home, and Josh Jackson is really good. You took this flyer on Dennis Smith Jr., who sucked, but that's all right. You can get rid of him. Yeah. And if they if they end up trading out of number one, I I shudder to think like the the what the timeline is going to look like. It's it's going to be there's going to be a lot of uh, you can't you can't really burn the jersey of the general manager, but he'll go from the most loved man in Detroit to the <laughs> most hated in in about three seconds. Yeah, I I think. Is there, is there any deal, uh, say, say the one for me, the only, the only trade out there, if I'm Detroit, that even makes me think about trading this pick is if Oklahoma City comes up to me and says, hey, we really love Cade Cunningham. Here is everything, you know, and they give you, I don't know, four or five first rounders that are unprotected. That's the only one that's even making me think. And even then I'll probably still say no, because like I said before, you know, draft picks are all great. You know, we're all the, every NBA fan, we're, we're so enticed by the mystery box of, you know, what we don't know. And here's a guy in Cade Cunningham, who's he's a known as known a commodity as you're going to get at the top of the draft. He's as polished a, uh, prospect as you're going to get so there yep. there for me is simply no logic to trading well the thing that the thing i'd say about that uh potential oklahoma city offer is first of all i'm hanging up if they don't let me take shay back with me yeah um because i guess he's kind of the the version of Cade that they've already got but probably you know like yeah. that's on like the same style of play like the same type of player like, I don't know who's going to be better in the long term, but Shea is very good. But the yeah. thing with trading, the thing with trading for a bunch of future picks like Oklahoma City could offer, is there's no guarantee that they're going to be bad when all these picks start coming in. So while yeah. you're trading for the like a bunch of number two, three, four picks now, yes, like in three, five, seven years, whenever they're like whenever they start trickling in, they could be like pick you know twelve, fifteen. They could be pick thirty for all you know. And then you exactly. look really stupid. Exactly. So, and and, and I, by, the, by the time those picks even convey, suddenly Cade Cunningham's made two all-NBA teams and you just look like an idiot. Exactly. And it's the same reason why. Like, I don't know what farm uh, New Orleans have got, but there's a lot of talk that I've seen, like people trying to tell me about, like, you know, Brandon Ingram and, you know, whatever picks they've got. And it's, but, yeah, it's, it's the same logic. It's like, well, no. Like there's no, well, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with this, as you said, most known commodity that you're going to get at the number one pick. Yeah. Um, you're absolutely like with right. such I a think... high, like at worst, a high floor. Yeah. And, you know, go from there. Yeah. I think, I think, look, if you're a GM, it will be wise. It will, it wouldn't be wise if you didn't, you know, see what was out there. I think that's. Oh, that's, of course. Yeah. Do, yeah. Yeah. You have to do your due diligence, but. And I think Troy Weaver will be doing that. There's no question. But um, I think at the end, when it comes to push and shove, I think he'll he'll weigh up everything and he'll just take take the certainty that comes with Cade Cunningham. As the Pistons fans have started trending on Twitter, just take Cade. 
Yeah. Well, it was fade um, for Cade. It was fade for Cade. It and, was. It was yeah. fade for Cade. Yeah. All the I, I love, swaps started I, coming out. I love one of my favorite things about NBA Twitter is when there's a, um, you know, a prospect such as Cade and the hashtag comes out, you know. I remember we had Regan, Regan for Wiggins, um, fade for Cade. Um, there's probably heaps more that, that I've, I can't remember right now. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they come over the next few years for Holmgren and Wembenyama. Oh, the, the fair, like they have made, I don't think I've seen a top prospect that there hasn't been a hashtag for. Yeah. They're very creative. They're brilliant. They're brilliant. It's like nobly for Mobley or like, you know, suck for Suggs, <laughs> that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah. Um, Houston have number two. Yeah. We've obviously been spoken about trying to move up. Um, there isn't really much there, I would say, that would get them the number one pick. Yeah. Again, they're, they're probably another team that's going to give you a, a whole heap of draft picks. Um, but again, like you said, it's just so uncertain. And I guess unless you really, unless Detroit really loves Evan Mobley or Jalen Green um, and sees that, hey, the the level between Cade and Mobley or Cade and Green isn't too high. Why not? Why don't we trade back and get a bunch of extra assets? Unless they really love one of those two players, I, I don't see it happening. Yeah, no. So I guess in that token, then Houston, assuming they stay at two, who do you like for them? This is a tough one because Houston, again, is, is they're very much like Detroit in that, it's it's sort of a blank canvas over there, and and Raphael Stone's quite new to the job as general manager there, and they're at that position in their rebuild where it's about it's nothing to do with fit. It's about who's who who do we think is going to be the best player, and it seems you know from from all accounts that they're probably leaning towards Jalen Green. Um, at this stage, just because I think he can come in and he's going to be he's going to be the guy I think who'll come in and he he can give you fifteen to twenty points a game just straight off the bat. Like um, you watch this guy play, and it's it's hard not to get intoxicated um, just by the highlights. He's just sensational, and and so I think getting a guy like that to come in, and you still got you know, John Wall, a veteran point guard there who can, again, help help him come along if if Wall isn't dealt himself. Um, but even if he is and you've got Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green, suddenly that's one of the most exciting young backcourts in the NBA. So I think Houston will end up taking Green. Um, but I think they are also probably sending out a few smoke screens heading into heading into the week before the draft. Sort of, if if they think the Cavs really love Evan Mobley, they can sort of be like, "Hey, look, like we we might take Mobley. You know, we like we like Mobley, and and see can they entice the Cavs into doing something um, a bit <laughs> rash yes. in the trade." But I think, yeah, ultimately, I think 
I think Detroit, uh, sorry, Houston will take Jalen Green. The thing with Houston, and it's the same thing with Detroit, when, you know, people try and big brain, uh, especially big brain the number one pick, these, yeah. te- like Houston, Detroit, Cleveland as well, they're, yeah. bad, they're so bad that, like, there's absolutely no benefit here in, you know, picking for fit. So, no. like, <clears throat> you've got, like, it, to use Cleveland as an example, we'll get to them, you know, in two seconds. But yeah. Cleveland have got Colin Sexton, they've got Darius Garland, right? Yeah. And they're probably looking to trade Sexton, That's so be it. But you've got these yeah. two, like, pretty good young guards. You're not going to, yeah. like, look at those, you know, well, we've got these two. Um, and Jalen Green's the best prospect available to us, but we've got these two guys, so we're going to take you know, someone else just because he's in a position of weakness, even though you're sacrificing talent level. Like these yeah. teams are that are that bad that it's, you know, pick first and then you make it all work later. You just gotta get talent at this point. Yeah. And I think I think the Cavs, you know, where we touched on before the lotteries that they've had success in, you know, in the early 2010s is they got burnt by picking for fit. You know, in 2013, we all remember they shocked, shocked the world by taking Anthony Wiggins, and you heard, heard the famous the Bill Simmons, whoa, you know, when they when they read out his name. But that was, you know, they they didn't pick Victor Oladipo because they were like, hey, we've got this, we've got a good two guard in Dion Waiters, and you know, mm-hmm. which is just crazy in hindsight. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was crazy yeah. at the time, actually. Um, but yeah, you don't when you're when you're a team that is at the top of the lottery fit is a lot the least of your problems unless the year before you've picked a carl anthony towns or something you don't go obviously and pick another center yeah yeah pick yeah fit should be the least of your concerns yeah it's it's the reason i guess detroit got burned out of donovan mitchell because they needed shooting so they took canard and that's why i think if if houston really loves uh, Evan Mobley and what he like, what he could become. Yep. If I'm Houston, I don't look at my roster and go, "Well, we've got Christian Wood, who's no, probably like the same type of player." But like, yeah. Wood's not that good. That you're going to be like, "Well, okay, so no. Cade's gone. Cade's off the board. Mobley is like the clear number one. Then there's like a gap, and we've got yeah. Green and Suggs and whatever. And I'm not going to that. Well, I've got Wood, so we don't need Mobley. We're going to, you know, yeah, same argument. Yeah, it's I mean, like because Houston, Houston were Houston, easily the worst team. In the league like this there wasn't even yeah. a, a, like it, detroit for having the second worst record their differential uh, they played like a like okay the sixth worst which is still not great but like they yeah. kept games close houston were just an embarrassment so yeah. they, they, and, they, they just picked whoever and if you if you if you're uh houston christian wood is a guy that is very easily movable in a trade you know he's it's not like he's this you know, center that's out of date that no team's gonna want. If you if you really think Evan Mobley is that good, you take him and then you move Christian Wood. And I think you could get some really good value for Christian Wood because um, he had a fantastic season last year when he was on the when he was healthy and when he was on the field. You know, he's a modern star center that takes takes and makes threes. I think a lot of teams out there could do a lot worse than than Christian Wood. So. Yeah, like you said, that's that shouldn't even be a concern for them. But having said that, I think I think they, by all accounts, are leaning towards uh, the the superstar potential in Jalen Green. 
Well, okay, now with your Cavs, that being said, Cunningham's off the board, Green's off the board. Is it Mobley then or is it Suggs? I think it's Mobley. I think it has to be just from, from two, two standpoints. Um, I think Mobley, you know, when you're talking about the guys at the top of this draft, there's, there's, a, there's some people out there who, who think Evan Mobley might end up being the best player in this draft. And he's, he's that talented. And if you can get that guy at three, I think it shouldn't even be a question. I know the argument for Suggs is, hey, he's a really good leader. He's going to come in and, and he's going to impact winning from day one. But as, as much as we spoke about you shouldn't worry about fit, I think the, the, the fan base will implode if they take another, another guard who's 6'4". Like it's, is, they've already you know, got too many guys of that size on the roster. So, so yeah, I think Mobley, Mobley for me is, is the pick there. Even though you've got Jared Allen, um, who you're going to have to pay this summer, they, they just extended the qualifying offer to him to make him a restricted agent, restricted free agent, sorry. Um, but I think, I think those two can play together. And I think Mobley is going to come in. He's, he's very slight. So he's not going to be able to come in and guard fives from day one. So I think it's going to be important to have a center alongside him and Mobley can fit in. Obviously we don't know what's going to happen with Kevin Love, but I think it's more likely than not that Kevin Love is not on the team at the start of the year. Um, So Mobley slots in there perfectly, or if you want to bring him off the bench, um, you got Larry Nance there. I think, uh, and I think Mobley's playmaking will really help as well, help the guards. Um, yeah, for me, I think it's it's got to be Mobley. Do, do, you, do you, would you get scared? Is there any part of you that is scared about Mobley being, I guess, the most, you know, potential versus reality type pick, if you know what I mean? Like, yeah. real, like high risk, high reward guy. Because like, like Mobley is like that typical like unicorn style like that every team is hunting, and like yeah. it's obviously that like yeah like you said he could be far and away the best player in the whole draft. But then yeah the flip side of that is well he could just absolutely crash and burn. Yeah, I th- look there is and and I think if I would, you know, if you ask me what my preference is out of Evan Mobley and Jalen Green, I would say Jalen Green. I think. I would be more than happy if Houston took Mobley and Green fell to us because um, I think Green Green is probably more of a sure thing, if you like, even, even if his ceiling is not as high as Evan Mobley. But I think just looking at the way he plays, he just seems like he understands the game, you know, too well to be a guy that just flames out. He's not, he's not this guy who's just this super, like, freakish athlete and that's all he has you know he's a he's the way he plays he just plays in a way that you look at him and initially you can just straight away say hey this guy understands the game and I think I think that because of that you know he's his ability to understand the game he's I feel like his bust potential is pretty low but but you're right there is there's always risk um with taking bigs this high in the draft we've seen it time and time again over the last 20 years for uh, even longer as long as the draft has been around um you know there there are plenty of top 
you know, bigs picked in the top five that flame out. But um, yeah, I think I think Mobley, his his bust potential is probably pretty low for a, for a big. I would say. Yeah. Um, before we talk a little bit more about the prospect versus the team, I just realised we totally forgot the second team that jumped uh, that slid down in the lottery. Um, and it's something we're actually talking about um, off air before we started. Uh, Chicago losing their pick as well to Orlando yeah. in the Vucevic trade. Um, so anyone that needs a refresher on that, Orlando, like it was a 14 trade, but the, the crux of it was Orlando getting uh, Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., um, the 2021 first rounder from Chicago. Uh, yeah. Future first <clears throat> uh, for Vucevic going to Chicago. And I think we spoke about this off air. A lot yeah. to give up for a team like Chicago for a guy like Vucevic. Yeah, it was like, like we were speaking about before. It, it's it was similar to the the Russell trade in that it happened, and you're like, oh, I don't know about this one. And um, you know, again, Nikola Vucevic is a perfectly fine player, but. Is he a guy that's going to come in and move the needle and suddenly vault you into playoff contention? I don't know. I mean, we haven't seen that evidence throughout his career, and this is a guy that's been in the league for this. Is, this will be his tenth season coming up next year. So, um, yeah, it was a curious one at the time, and and I still think you know Wendell Carter Jr. could be something. Um, he was a guy that people loved going into that 2018 draft. And for whatever reason, he hasn't quite panned out like that. Um, but he's a very, very more than useful uh, young player. So, yeah, it was a curious one at the time, to say the least. And this isn't so much about Vucevic as it is about Chicago, really. Um, yeah. And, you know, that team probably, like, what were they really shooting for exactly? Yeah, it was it was like okay, well you get Vooch. I think what they were maybe eleventh or twelfth in in the East when they got him. So it's like okay, realistically, best case scenario, you're maybe maybe making the sixth seed, and then you're facing Milwaukee in the first round and getting absolutely swept out of out of the gym. So it's like, what does that what does that achieve for you i don't i didn't quite get that i get the the fan base is probably desperate for some success i haven't had any since the rose butler that sort of era and i guess for chicago it's a, the real fork in the road is that jimmy butler trade where they had this guy that you know he, he wanted to be there he wanted to be a bull for life and they decided that they didn't want to pay him and you know as the years have gone on that decision looks pretty poor as even as good as Zach Levine has become um, he's not someone that you can look at and say he impacts winning either so yeah and on top of that they've they've got another pick to convey so this this tra- this trade isn't even finished yet yeah it's an odd one to you, you know you basically I guess the Bulls were thinking well at, at worst we'll like get up into the um the, the play-in spots and, you know, go from there. Um, yeah. So that didn't happen. Um, and on the flip got... side, though, on the flip side, I think it was a great move for Orlando. You know, when you're talking about a team 
that's again, it's they're very similar to the teams that we've spoken about already. Um, they're just looking to acquire as many assets as possible and they want as many bites at the apple that they can have at the draft. And, you know, what, what do they end up with? So the fifth and the eighth pick in this draft, I think it's a great result for, for Orlando. And, you, and on top of that, you get a guy in Wendell Carter who I think still has a lot of upside in him. Um, so it's, it's a trade for the magic that could look really, really good in a, in a few years. Yeah, obviously Orlando had the third worst record, so they actually got jumped by both Cleveland and Toronto, which is unfortunate for them. But yeah, like on the flip side, them being jumped also, I guess, pushed the Bulls down out of their protection range. Um, yeah. It gives them that eighth pick. And you add, you know, Wendell Carter Jr., who I really, really like. He's got a lot of potential as, I guess, a multifaceted offensive guy who can, yeah. um, you know, like the, the classic unicorny stuff on defense. But then you've and also he, got... He's another one that's... Uh, we we touched on Mobley. I guess the the Wendell Carter Jr. is is sort of similar in that he just seems like he understands the game. And yeah, he's you know stats might not be there and stuff, but he's just you know defensively, especially, he's in the right place more often than not. And he's yeah, the guys like that. I I feel like you should take definitely take a chance on and and for um, Orlando's even though you're going to have to pay him, um, it's, it was a good buy low option, I think. Yeah, and then you add like these two, you know, reasonably high lottery picks, at least five and eight, to Wendell Carter Jr. You've got um, Jonathan Isaac coming off, uh, he's back after his injury. And obviously there's always like a, a dicey situation coming off an ACL. Yeah. Um, but I'm a huge fan of him as well. And obviously, yeah, unfortunate been, that Markel Fultz did did his yeah. knee again. But like, you've really got something building there. I think at least it's it's definitely a few years away for sure. Yeah, but it's yeah. starting something. And and look, you mentioned Markel Fultz. Look, he he might he'll probably never be the guy that we thought he would be. But he showed some great great signs before his injury, and it was unfortunate because it, it seemed like you know, the back end of last last season, he was pretty good. And then it was unfortunate that he got injured so early in this season. But yeah, they, they got some stuff cooking there, man. And um, I think with five and eight, um, provide they pick the right guys, they, they'll be an interesting team over the next few years. Yeah, for sure. Now let's go back to the prospects. Um, Kay Cunningham, consensus number one, Pretty much, yeah. A lot of people have talked about um, his position in the NBA at least straight away, and I guess with the Detroit team, he's likely going to be joining in mind. Do yep. you reckon he comes in and plays one or off guard? Ah, <sighs> it's a tough one, isn't it? Because the point coming in to the NBA and playing point guard from day one is extremely tough, regardless of how talented a prospect you are. Um, you can look at any any point guard, even guys who, who are going to end up in the Hall of Fame. Um, they struggled. It's a, it's a very very hard position, and it's a position that's deep. Um, you know, you, if you're if you're talking about point guard, you know, one night you're going up against Steph Curry, you're going up against um, Kyrie Irving, you're going up against um, whoever. There's it seems like every team almost has a star point guard. So it's it's a tough position, but I think. Given his ball handling and, 
you know, his multifaceted offensive game, it seems as if it's the best position to put put him in. And I think he's a guy that by all accounts can run an offense from day one. So if if I'm Detroit, yeah, I'm, I'm putting the ball in his hands from day one and, and he can, he can learn from the bumps, I think. So here's the thing. Um, if you're assuming he's playing with Killian Hayes, which I think a lot of people are, then there's a, yeah. I don't see any reason why Cunningham doesn't start as the two because the dip, like there's, he's obviously got the size for it. He's six, eight. Yeah. But then you look at, um, he's probably a bit more athletically gifted than Killian. He can definitely probably defend more NBA twos and smaller threes, I guess, if you really wanted him to. But the yeah. key difference with them is Cunningham was a like a much better shooter um, yes. in college yeah. than Killian has ever been so far uh, in the NBA and in, in Europe. Uh, yeah. But Killian has shown some stuff when he's um, got his feet set and he's just like catching and shooting. But I think mm-hmm. if you put Killian off ball, you, you really limit his effectiveness because the one thing he's shown from straight away was his ability to set up teammates in his passing. And yeah. I think if you just ease Cunningham into it by getting – because he's a – I haven't got the numbers in front of me. I think it was about 40%. Yeah, he was. On, on decent volume. Yeah, yeah. On, on pretty decent volume for Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma yeah. State, sorry. Um, and then you, you, know, you get this guy that's known for his passing next to him and like, you know, Jeremy Grant's probably still going to get the toughest defensive assignment from the other team. And I just don't yeah. think there's any reason. Like, that's just my, like, I think that's his best. Look, eventually he probably will end up being an NBA point guard. Yeah. Um, and you hope Killian uh, developed his shot enough that they can be basically interchangeable. Um, but yeah. I think straight away, it's probably, I, I would put Cunningham at the two. And would he can be... even run the bench units anyway. That's what, that's what I was going to get to. Could you... Could Detroit do a thing where they Cunningham is a point guard for their starters and then they actually bring Killian off the bench to marshal the bench unit? Is that something that Detroit could potentially do? Probably. It depends on... The thing with Killian is you need shooters around him because he can't really yeah. shoot that well himself. I think Cunningham yeah. is less important, the spacing. Yeah. Um, but Killian hasn't got the athleticism to get inside by himself and he hasn't got the shooting ability make guys press up on him yet and you yes. look at Detroit's roster and outside of really outside of Sadiq Bay uh, they haven't got many guys that are like known marksmen like Josh Jackson, Hamadou Diallo Jeremy Grant, they can all get hot but yep. they're pretty streaky um, yep. and you, you probably, and like it worked pretty well last year, like not on the wins perspective obviously but Josh Jackson being a de facto creator off the bench because he's just so wild and it yep. kind of worked Yes, um, yeah. You know who you could use so, right yeah. now? You know who you could use right now? Luke Kennard, baby. Come on down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm perfectly happy. with Look, when that trade happened, um, uh, all the second rounders that we sent out, it was really like, what are we doing? Um, uh, but then, yeah, like in hindsight, it's, it's a lot to pay for someone like Sadiq Bey, but if there's ever a, a time where you, like selling second rounders off has been worth it, it's probably yeah. been this one. No, nah, Sadiq, Sadiq Bay was looked very good, very, very good for, for you guys last year. But no, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I, I think the the good thing about Cade and about Killian is that they both have good 
good size. You know, they're, I think Killian's what six five, and then yep. Cade's obviously six eight. Um, so, you know, like you said, Cade's a guy that can guard twos, probably or maybe threes, depending on who the guy is at three. But I mean, you look at the NBA now, and it's it's the the guards interchange, you know, and cross match and. You know, sometimes the guards are guarding the threes, the threes are guarding the guards. Like, it's it's such an interchangeable league nowadays that um, yeah. ultimately doesn't really matter who who slots where, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, like, yeah, and you look at the, t- the two teams that made the finals, and like, obviously this is a long way down the road, but yeah, you've got, like, Chris Paul and Devin Booker on one side and then Holiday and Middleton on the other side, like, Exactly. Bringing the ball up is like it, it means nothing nowadays, and like you've got both guys can play off ball, both guys play on ball. Yeah. Um, I think I mean, if you look as, as bad a defender as we thought he was going to be, and he the size helps, yeah. and he showed like decent ability to stay in front of guys, not on a Drew Holiday or Chris Paul level, um, yeah. but like the stuff's there. Yeah, no, no question, and and um, yeah, I mean, if you uh, another one that another example of this is like for the Brooklyn Nets, like James Harden is probably listed as the two guard, but he's the point guard of that team. Um, you know, so it's, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't really matter that much in, in today's NBA, I would say. Yeah, no, positions have never been less important as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, 100%. Uh, last thing on Cunningham, I, I think I've said it, I guess, just privately. I think... You know, if, if at worst from Kate Cunningham, you're, you're getting like a Jamal Murray level player or a De'Aaron Fox level player, yeah. that's still pretty good. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, those guys are potential fringe all-stars next year. Um, obviously not Murray because he's hurt, but yeah, De'Aaron Fox was really, really good last year. So yeah, if that's the floor, I mean... Listen, if this guy puts it all together, man, you're you're looking at a a, a Luca level, like that sort of guy who can come in and just yeah. change the trajectory of your franchise from the very first offensive possession, which is very very Detroit exciting fan. if you're a De- Detroit fan. And and listen, I'm excited for the the Central Division is getting tough, baby. We got we got. <laughs> We got the number one. We got the number one pick coming in. We got the number three pick coming in. We got the reigning NBA champions. Hey, the the as far as I'm concerned, the NBA runs through the Central Division. And you've got Chicago. Yeah, um, yeah. We listen. We we don't have to talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, nah, Evan Evan Mobley. Look, we've spoken a lot about Mobley, and I guess what he can do. Um, yes. I, put you on the spot, but do you have a comp for him? Have a sorry. What was that? A uh, comp. Harrison a comp. Him. Uh, I think the one that to to me, there's a few, but I think the one that makes most sense that that I've seen is Chris Bosh. I think, um, you know, Bosh is a guy who I think was very very underrated. You know, and he's a guy whose game, you know, if if Chris Bosh comes around in the 2013 draft as opposed to the 03 draft you know, he's spoken about so much higher because I think his game now would fit perfectly. He's the perfect, num- uh, you know, five man that you would want, a guy that um, can stretch it out. He can punish mismatches inside. He can defend the rim well. He 
you know, he was a really, really, really skilled big man. And I think he did a, Bosch did a lot of things that, that helped that Miami Heat team function, you know, especially um, in terms of going small against teams when they, when they played Bron at the four. So that's the sort of guy I think Mobley can, can be. Um, I've seen comps to Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant. Like those guys are all timers. Like they're, you know, you can't, it's, it's so unfair to put that sort of comp on a young yeah. player. Listen, I understand Mobley can bring the full ball up the floor and he does look like KD because they're, they've both got slight frames, but I just think it's so, so unfair, you know, to put a, put, put that sort of pressure on a young kid, but, but, you know, I, I do get why they, especially the AD comp, you know, he's, he's a, phenomenal shot blocker in college just like ad was i think um if i just bring it up um you know he's the defensive awards he took out this year i mean he was a pac-12 defensive player of the year pac-12 all defensive team you know just just dominant on that end so i think that's where the davis comparison comes from and the Durant comparison I actually don't really understand because they don't seem to play the same. Like Evan Mobley is not really a comfortable enough shooter from outside to warrant that comparison. You know, there's obviously his touch seems to be pretty decent. So there's an expectation that he will eventually extend his game beyond the three point line. But I mean, Kevin, Kevin Durant, listen, we're talking about, one of the maybe two, three greatest scorers to ever step on the floor. Like that's just unrealistic. So yeah, to answer your question, yeah. I think I think it's Bosch is a probably a very, very good um, comparison. And if if I think if Evan Mobley ends up being Chris Bosch, I think Cleveland should be happy. Like Chris Bosch made eleven All Star games, I think. And you know, NBA champion, he was yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal player. And it's it's unfortunate that Bosch Bosch's career obviously had the health issues at the end and he had to cut it short. Like he's a guy I think who could have still been around and still been really productive. And, you know, he might've been at the stage of his career where he comes off the bench now and just really just, he's an offensive spark plug because of the way he could shoot the ball. But um, I think the, the, the appeal in Mobley, if you like, is the fact that he's a, he's a big that, you, you don't see getting played off the court in a, in a playoff game just because of his ability to switch out. And he's, he's not like a Rudy Gobert. Um, do, uh, yeah. Jazz Twitter, please don't come and egg my house. But, <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, it wasn't, let, let's just say these, these playoffs didn't, weren't kind to Rudy Gobert. Um, even though I don't listen, I'm not one of those people yeah. who think Rudy, Rudy Gobert is a bum who doesn't deserve to be in the NBA. Three time defense player. Yeah. But yeah, you know, like that, that skill we saw with DeAndre Ayton in the finals, having a big that can stay on the floor in a playoff game is super, super valuable. And I think Mobley projects to be that sort of guy. And, and that's, that's what should excite uh, Cavs fans hope, hoping that hopefully um if we can take him yeah on on um before we go to 
the other prospect, um, just on Gobert. I've never seen a defensive player of the year be hidden on defense in the playoffs on like the um on whoever they were playing, I've forgotten now, but you know, on the fifth option offense. Yeah. Uh yeah, he's man. And and man I knew I knew I knew Rudy well, I, this is the point I knew where uh, the Jazz were cooked was so Terrence Mann is raining tr- threes on on um, on the Jazz in Game Six in in the Staples Center, and then Reggie Jackson, who mind you had a phenomenal playoff series, um, so Reggie Jackson, Mann had just hit a three, and Reggie Jackson, the very next possession just went right at Rudy Gobert, chest to chest, and just, I don't know if he dunked it. He, did he dunk on Gobert? I think oh, it was Man who dunked right. on Gobert. I think Man dunked on Gobert, but, but Reggie had a really, really tough finish in the fourth quarter of that game. And I, I thought, okay, they have absolutely no fear of this guy anymore. Um, yeah. It was a shame for Utah. I think that was just a really, really bad matchup. Like, the Clippers are a very like switchable, small ball, you know, wing three and D kind of team. Um, yeah, it was just an unfortunate matchup for him. Mm. But yeah, rough, rough, uh, rough postseason for Mr. Gobert. Yeah, rough postseason for I guess all of Jazz Twitter, really. Um the two the two Jalen's. Yes. Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs. Yeah, one of them will most likely be available in Cleveland. Green, known more for the scoring, um, yeah. probably the best pure scorer in the draft. Suggs, like you mentioned earlier, like that more leadership type. Yeah, Green didn't go to college. He went to through the Ignite program in the G League, which is kind of their answer, I guess, to um, as we know in Australia, the NBL Next Star program. Um, yeah, Suggs had that one year in Gonzaga. What? Who do you think is the the better prospect out of the two? Like for Cleveland or just in general? Answer it however you want, but both, I guess. Okay, well, for the Cavs, I think I would prefer Green, just because I think the Cavs are so desperately in need of a wing scorer, and you know, Green at six six, he has good size. Um, he's a guy who is probably he's got you know, levels that he can get to defensively if he wants um, if he wants to get there. He's got the, you know, he's a fast twitch athlete, um, ex- phenomenal explosion. I mean, this is a guy that could potentially win a dunk contest at some point in his career. But you, if you watch his highlights and just see the array of finishes, the athleticism, um, it's just a really, really good fit. And I think with the NBA being how it is now, being being a smaller league, if you like, he's a guy that could potentially play some three out there if you're running really, you know, three-guard lineups. Um, you know, he's... And he's got a bit of passing chops as well. Listen, 2.3 assists per game might not, you know, jump off the page, but we saw at times, you know, he's willing to make that pass. It's probably just he needs to choose when the right moment is and, and, you know, his passing ins- instincts aren't there, but he's, he's not, a, he's not a ball stopper by any means, I would say. Um, so I would put him above yeah. Jalen Suggs 
as as a prospect just because I think Green has a ceiling that that is pro- could be potentially higher than than anyone in this draft. I mean, yeah, he's he's a guy that it would not be it would not surprise me, you know, three four seasons from now if this guy looks like Jason Tatum out there in terms of just the different way he can give you buckets in in you know i mean jason tatum he can he can score from three he can score he's big you know and i see some of some of these moves that green makes on the offensive end it's un it's not normal for a 19 year old to have that in in his bag already so um yeah that's i would i would pick green but but that's not to pile on Suggs, who I think, you know, like we mentioned earlier, he's going to come in and he's going to get you organised. I just think from a Cavs perspective, the way our roster is, you know, you got Darius Garland, who was very, very bright towards the end of last season, and he really showed that he could be that floor general. So I think there's a bit of bit too much overlap in terms of Garland and Suggs, and they're sort of similar sizes. Green's a bit taller, so that helps. You know, Cavs um, definitely need some height in the backcourt. Um, so, yeah, I would pick pick uh, Green if I had to had the choice between the two. But then that would mean Suggs falls to Toronto, which I think which I think is a fantastic fit for both the player and the franchise. You know, given with the Raptors, we don't know what's happening with Kyle Lowry. Um, he could be there, he could be not, but um you bring in Suggs and now he can play alongside Fred Van Fleet or you know whoever whoever you want. Um I think that'll be excellent. It's interesting you brought up Jalen Green's passing and like you know obviously the assist numbers aren't spectacular, but you, you gotta factor in I think um he's playing in the G League, so he's playing against, you know, men yeah. compared to, you know, if it was two point one assists in college, it's like, well, you know, it's a it's a weaker level. I would say, but two, yeah. two assists against, you know, guys that are pretty much fighting, maybe not to get into the NBA, but fighting for contracts either in the G League, in the NBA, or, you know, for yeah. scouts overseas. It's yeah. definitely impressive for a 19-year-old who's known as a scorer to be able to display that. Yeah, and, and a, it's a great point you mentioned with the G League. Like, he's going up against men, you know, and and... If you look at his frame again, he's a guy that needs to put on a little bit of weight. He's only he's only 180 pounds um, at this stage, so he's definitely very slight. But he was a brilliant finisher inside through contact. So he he's doing that against against men, not not guys his age. So that was very impressive, and I think something that that should should help him going forward. You know, to make that transition to the league. He he's going to be able to make that transition quicker than quicker than most, I would say. Mm. Now on Jalen Suggs, I'll be honest. I'm out of the top four. He's the one I know the least about. So I guess like, tell me a bit about his play style. Because I didn't watch. I didn't see much of him over the years. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I'm he's I'm exactly in the same boat as you. Like I'm not going <laughs> to be a, a, a Suggs um, expert, but. I think he's a good comp for him is actually Drew Holiday. You know, he's a guy that's, he's a big guard. He's, he's 6'4", 205 pounds, um, really 
can be a difference-making defensive guard, you know, in the NBA. Like we saw Drew Holiday, you know, come in and he might not be the most explosive athlete, but he's just really, really strong. And that yeah. that type of guy is tough to go against if, you know, if you're a guard. I think where Suggs, his what will determine Suggs' ceiling is his shooting. You know, he was only only 33.7% from three. And, and so that's a work in progress. Um, you assume that he, he's, he shot 76% from the free throw line. So he's, it's not like he's a poor shooter, you know, so you expect that that will come with time, but um, that's definitely a question. Um, but he showed, you know, in the NCAA tournament, he's, he, He's a ability to hit pull up threes. So it's it's definitely there in his game. It's just something that he'll have to develop at the next level. But yeah, he's a he's a guy that can come in and he's gonna be able to create, you know, better than most in this draft, um, aside from maybe yeah. Cade. Um, he's just gonna be able to come in, be the be the floor general, get everything organized and put guys in position. Like he's a he's just a leader, you know. A guy that I think comes into your franchise and he'll immediately change the culture. That's that's I think Suggs' biggest selling point. And yeah, you know, normally you talk about three, four year college players coming in, you know, and, and having that. But this guy, he's only twenty years old, so he comes in and immediately changes your culture and and sets sets gets everything aligned and you're looking at 10 to 12 years of that. Like it's, yeah. It, even though he's fourth on my list, I would say out of these, this top four, like in any other draft, he could well be yeah. going. There's no question. Well, like, like you said, the Drew Holiday comp, I'm just, because you say you didn't know, you definitely knew more than me about him. So I'm just having a little squeeze while you were going on there to, um, at his draft profile on DraftNet, And they've listed Darren Fox as a comp as well. And I'm looking at his stats and, he does seem like that really like supreme athletic do it all type point guard who, yeah, obviously you know, the shooting is what it's worth. It's not great. Um, yeah. And you bring up the, the free throw thing as like an indicator that he could be reliable. I tend to like, I used to buy into that. I don't think I buy into that argument as much anymore just because it's like free throw shooting is largely mental. I think compared to yeah. um, mechanical being the actual three point shot. But then if yep. you're getting, like, if Toronto's getting this De'Aaron Fox level player who can develop into that Drew Holiday type, then, yeah, I mean, like, well, basically they're, they're pretty much, like, you know, it, it doesn't make one of Lowry and Van Vliet redundant, but it definitely allows them to, to try and trade Lowry for, like, one of these packages, like the rumoured Philly interest. And that, that's really a quick rebound, uh, you know, from the mid-lottery, obviously lucky moving up. Then you add subs yeah. and you can confident trading okay. Lowry. Yeah, it's, Back up there. And I think if you're if you're the Raptors, this is probably as high as you're gonna if you're talking about from this point to the next two one, two years, um, this is probably as high as Lowry's trade value is gonna get. So if, if there's any time to deal him, um, it will be this summer. And if you're dealing him and, and you can bring in Suggs, and it's it's probably as seamless a fit as you can get in terms of bringing in a point guard, I think. Mm. Um, 
I did want to bring up something before we moved on to the next little part. And that was, so there's been reports about, you know, certain prospects working out for certain teams. So yeah. as soon as the lottery, uh, the ping pong balls fell um, straight away, everyone was like, well, Cade's definitely only working out for whoever wins the lottery, which turned out thankfully to be Detroit. Um, yeah. But since that, uh, more news has filtered through. So Evan Mobley reportedly is only working out for Houston and Jalen Green is only reportedly working out for Detroit and Houston. So yeah. I, I read into that two things. One, no one wants to go to Cleveland. Um, <laughs> and two, um, two, like Mobley especially, but I guess both of them like locking out everyone below two. Yeah. There has to be, I, I guess, a promise of some sort, but it doesn't really make sense for both of them. More so Mobley and Green. Cunningham definitely only work out for number one. Yeah, well, I think I've read reports that Green has has gotten a promise i'm not sure if that's 100 percent true but um yeah it's i mean listen one of these guys has to go to cleveland so (laughs) (laughs) not like they're going to trade out of the pick you know just because they they haven't had a workout there but um yeah i think if i had to bet you know, my house on how the top four pans out, I, I would say it goes Cunningham, Green, Mobley and Suggs. I think that just makes the most sense. Now, obviously, if there's a trade um, and the order gets switched around, that could change things. But as things stand now, I think those are your top four. Yeah, it's it's just, yeah, obviously they can't both have got, well, I guess they maybe could have both gotten a promise from Houston. Um <laughs> I, was more interested in, I was more interested in Green limiting himself to the top two rather than, I guess, a lot of people think Mobley is the number two prospect, so him only working out for Houston makes more sense. But then Green, yeah, piling in on that as well, it, it just looks weird. I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. The the, the workout of- the workouts thing is strange. Like we're we're in a time where like there's so much information out there about all of these guys that I don't think workouts are as essential as they have been in previous generations if you get what i'm saying like you know there's that that many breakdowns of these guys like the these all these front offices would have done just a ton of scouting like and they would know everything they need to know um back to front about these guys so if you're you know if you're evan mobley if you've only worked out for houston it's more probably i would say Houston sort of being that split between him and Green and having to bring them in and seeing, okay, who do we think is better? Um, uh, As opposed to, I think, him saying, oh, I refuse to go to X destination. Do you you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, but yeah, I I think those three, uh, they're going to go one, two, and three in in whatever order. Yeah, look, if... If nothing else, like I've seen enough of the photos from over the years, like that people have to bring up, you know, like because obviously they do the workout and then they have like the media after. And you've got, yeah. you know, Devin Booker wearing Pistons gear after his workout. You've got Donovan Mitchell wearing Pistons <laughs> gear after his workout. So if this just kills off that, I'm fine. Because I've don't yeah. need to keep seeing those photos. Oh, there's there's one of Joel Embiid in Cavaliers, like, oh, it just breaks my heart. <laughs> like I remember so, like Donovan, yeah. Yeah, like in, in 14, I think the Cavs actually discovered his back thing um in the 
workout process, the pre-draft process. And I think had he not had been red flagged or, or whatever he was at the time, I th- I'm pretty sh- certain that he would have gone number one. But it was after that workout that he had that back injury. And and if you remember, he posted an Instagram of him in hospital and I think Jabari Parker visiting him. Like, that's when I think... Because the, the Bucks were always locked into Jabari. So it was either... Wiggins goes one one to Cleveland or three to Philly, and as it worked out, and vice versa. Yeah, Wiggins Wiggins went one um, and didn't play a game for the Cavs, so it ultimately didn't really <laughs> matter. But yeah, jo- uh, I, I, he played I was just, sorry. He, he played summer league with Delhi for like one or two games. He did. Do Do you remember that first um, summer league game between the Bucks and the Cavs? And it, they filled out I the do. stadium. They filled out the stadium. Yeah, it was huge. It was uh, Jabari versus um, Wiggins. Like they were really like, obviously now, like you know, both those guys' careers haven't panned out as we thought. But like they were really highly thought of prospects. Both those two. Yeah, Jabari is almost at the, the level of being featured on who he played for with Charles Barkley. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Like Jabari, Jabari obviously had his injuries. Like he had those two, two yeah. or three knee things. Like, and the season, two, pretty... uh, yeah, he he was really starting to put it together as well with the Bucks, and it's a shame how it turned out. Because I think, had he been healthy, I think he would have been a really, really good player. Yeah, it's just it's always unfortunate, but like you know, it happens all, all the time. Um, yeah. I guess. Another one. So obviously we've got those locked in pretty much as the top four. If yeah. there was a surprise jump into the top four, do you have a name? The guy that seems to be the name is Scotty Barnes. Um, just because he's that prototypical big wing who can just defend the hell out of opponents. Um, and he seems to, his stock has gone through the roof in, in the last six months i would say um just because he has that he's six nine with a seven foot three wingspan 225 pounds like he's just a, that prototypical body type that you would want in a wing um but also you know he's a guy that could possibly play point guard like he averaged four assists a game and and i think he actually considers himself a point guard so like he's a guy that the the why he's not um, spoken about higher is the fact that his shooting is a real question. You know, he's 27% from three. He was 62% from the free throw line. So that's like, that's yeah. a big question mark. But I mean, if he was able to shoot, I think we're talking about a guy who's in the conversation to be a number one pick. Like he's that talented. Um, yeah. yeah. He's, he's a guy who's, name i've seen in you know mock drafts go from he was in like the seven to eight range then he was like the five to six now it's four to five you know and he's a guy i could see you know we spoke about workouts not being important but this is a guy that could come in and just have an unbelievable workout where a team just falls in love like if there's any player that it's that could do that you know it's it's scotty barnes 
How about yourself? Does he, does he give off? Uh, well, it's probably Scotty Barnes as well because, yeah, like to me, he almost gives off this, and I don't like saying it, but Ben Simmons energy, at least the style of player, especially if he does see himself as a point guard. And yeah. I, he's obviously a, a much better shooter than Simmons in the fact that he takes threes. Um, <laughs> but, but like, yeah, like he's got he, that size, yeah, that, that massive size, you know, 230 at 6'9". Um, and then you've got, you know, the four assists, four rebounds a game, less yeah. turnovers than a known point guard like Jalen Suggs. So yeah. I guess the question with Barnes is, you know, obviously competition that he's playing yep. against. Yep. Um, and he only started seven games, interestingly. Um, yeah. But I guess if you get him into, into the – Barnes seems like the type of guy that he needs the right system. Yeah. So if he was to, like, for example, you mentioned workouts and teams falling in love. If he, like, if he, you know, dominated that Toronto workout, if he gets one. Yeah. And then he goes to Toronto, that seems like, and look, Suggs is probably the perfect fit for them as well. But if, if Barnes ended up in Toronto versus someone yeah. like, yeah, you know, versus someone like Orlando or, you know, whoever's like picking directly after them, you know, like Orlando or yeah. um, OKC. Yeah, so if, if Barnes ends up in Toronto, I think that's, yeah, that, that's probably one of the destinations that could really see proper Scotty Barnes and not, you know, hopefully he turns good one day, Scotty Barnes. Yeah, I think if if he goes to the Raptors and now you're rolling out a forward tandem of him and OG Ananobi on the defensive end, like that's terrifying. Like those are two guys that you do not want to see. Um, well, yeah, I think... Summer. That's a pretty bad trio. Exactly, exactly. So um, I think with Scotty, one thing that will help him is the fact that the NBA game is there's he's going to have more room to operate. Um, yeah. So you know, compared to when he was at Florida State, I think that room and the spacing that the NBA provides, you know, the longer three-point line just there's just more space out there and i think he's a guy that will look better as a result of that yeah 100 percent um our boy josh giddy we have to we have to mention him absolutely we have to mention him um probably should be in tokyo right now but that's all right um just more time to fall in love with him that was a real bummer I really, I really, really would have liked to have seen Josh Giddy, yeah, on this on this Blue yeah. team. And look, I was, I'm a big fan of, oh, sorry, I'm a big proponent of rewarding the best guys in the NBL because you've got to keep that pathway legitimate. Yes. And like, I, I don't begrudge Nathan Sobey his spot. I think he was one of the best locals in the league. He definitely deserves his spot. Yeah. Um, but then. Someone like Josh Giddy, like, this boomer's culture is everything it is. You get him in there. But the, the fact that he was also willing to play despite being in the draft process yeah. is just like, we. I, I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed more so that he's not there. But, I mean, yeah. you know, it is what it is. I think the boomers, though, more often um, than if not... Anything, he got, he got that. The boomers, more often than not, have... When it's a choice between a younger player and they, they do more often than not go for experience, don't they? They do, which is actually why I'm a little bit surprised um, in the same token that Josh Green's there. 
Yeah, yeah. But no, Giddy, Giddy there alongside Green, Thibault, would have been really, really nice. Yeah, just build that base for um, Paris 24. Um, yeah. But the Giddy, <laughs> the draft prospect. Yes. His range has kind of been all over the place, hasn't it? And I guess he got the benefit of playing that one exhibition game um, yeah. and, and really showing out. And, you know, all the draft heads, you know, fill him up with him all over again, basically, because you look at Giddy as he's a 6'8 point guard. He's not much of an athlete, I guess, in the way that some of these other top prospects are. He's never going to yeah. be that nuclear guy. And going into the NBL season... The, the question was always going to be with his shooting, and it started out rough. But then by the end of the season, um, yeah, he developed into a, if, if nothing else, a reliable, you know, mid-30s type shooter. Yeah. And then I guess his draft range has pretty much fluctuated from, like, knocking on the top 10 to, you know, 20, 21. What, what, what do you reckon his range is? Uh, I would say it's from highest, I would say maybe eight or nine to, like, you're talking like maybe just out of the lottery, so maybe the mid-teens. Um, but I think I think you'd, he'll probably settle around. You look at the teams around picking around there. I mean, who needs a ball handler that sort of? So you got the Warriors, who we both don't think will pick a seven. Um, Orlando potentially. Um, you know, Sacramento Kings. Um, the Pelicans, Hornets, like, yeah, he, you know what, like, I could so see, like, him number 12 to San Antonio, like, it's just, like, a very Spursy kind of guy. <laughs> it is very Spursy. Yeah, I could definitely see that, like, the Spurs, he just gets in in that system, like, under Popovich and becomes, like, best case Josh Giddy. like, that would be fantastic for him. Um Indiana, there, there's a lot of interesting teams around there who, you know, I mean, the Pelicans, like, you don't know, what are they going to do with Lonzo Ball? Like, that's... Um, that's, that's what a, I was going to bring up, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's a big question mark. Um, Charlotte, they got Lamelo. he's a lead ball handler. Um, Kings, obviously, with Halliburton last year and Fox, they're pretty sorted. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see, like, could... I mean, could Orlando potentially, if they take, if they really fall in love with a guy like Kuminga, the upside there, and then they go for Giddy at eight? I mean, I don't know if he goes that high, but that's an option. Like, but I, I don't see him getting past, you know, Washington at 15. Like, that's probably as low as he goes. I would say. 10 to 10 to 13 that's probably somewhere where he falls in the end and spurs spurs at 12 that'll be a pretty pretty nice fit for both sides yeah so here's the, the here's the thing i think with the pelicans um and we mentioned you know earlier on um about you know being bad enough that you don't draft the fit i think the pelicans yeah. are probably in that but where they are looking at fit especially at the yes. they, the 10th pick the thing that's working against anyone that's on the giddy to the Pelicans train is, um, you know, over the last couple of years, they have drafted guards in Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Kyra Lewis Jr. Yeah. Do they really invest in another guard? And look, Giddy's a much different player to either of them. Yeah. Um, 
but they really, the they, really, they really like those guys too, you know? They do. They, they do like the big guys. Like Lonzo's a big guard. Walker's a big guard. Um, yeah. Lewis, not so much. But then you put Giddy yeah. next to Brandon Ingram if he's still there. And whatever happens with Zion, um, yeah. who I don't think they're going to get. They're not going to trade Zion. But if you put Giddy yeah. next to Zion, Brandon Ingram, and, um, well, yeah, that, that three. And at least offensively, you've got, you know, two really elite offensive guys in Ingram from outside and uh, Williamson inside. Yeah. Um, and then you give them the, the perfect ball handling guy who's not going to demand shots. And I think you've really got something there. But then also you talk about the Spurs and Giddy going to pop in the Spurs just seems too obvious because he can yeah. play next to uh, DeJounte Murray who can slide over. Um, yeah. Athletically, he can guard the twos. Uh, Murray can. So yeah. the, the question is going to be if Giddy has the foot speed to guard NBA point guard straight away and he probably won't. Yeah, but then if you also just get him into the Spurs system, and more importantly than Pop, you've got Patty Mills there as well. So it's like yeah. it just seems too too obvious, I guess. Yeah, and like you got a guy like Derek White there who could play alongside, you know. So I think that'll be a, just a phenomenal fit. Um, DeRozan, the free agent, we don't know what will happen there. Um, you know, Keldon Johnson. I'd be shocked if returns, but yeah. Through. Like, there's a lot of different ways. There, Lonnie Walker is another one. Vassell, you know, they got they got a few different guys there. So um, that would be a great fit. Um, and I, I would the the Paddy Mills factor. You know, that'll be a great fit for Josh as well. There's no question. Yeah, I think the Spurs. Like, if you were going to put, um, if it was the other way around and tech players were drafting teams. I think if anyone in Giddy's camp was advising against him going to the Spurs, they should be sacked immediately. I feel like the Spurs would, if it was a player decided draft, I think the Spurs would have the number one pick almost every year. <laughs> Probably. Like it would be the Spurs um, and the Lakers like every year. <laughs> although you say that you also got to account for the Florida teams with the no income tax. So like half the games are tax free pretty much. So and the, and the, Texas, the, the Texas teams, are, I think, are like that as well, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, notably Texas and Florida have... And then yeah. conversely, like, New York is, like, the highest, so... Yeah, like, well, I'm pretty sure if um, it was a player decided draft, our two teams would be picking 28th to 30th every single year. <laughs> well, not if LeBron was there. And yet, ordinarily, yes, you are, yeah, you're probably right. I think even um, LeBron, yeah, you know, if he had the choice, he would have gone elsewhere. <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, I'm talking more about Le- Le- LeBron being there now. Oh, sorry. Like, but like, if it was 2016 Cavs, they're obviously not 30th. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Detroit, uh, like, my looking at a ceiling of like a 25th pick. Yeah. Well, you, just um, to touch back on Giddy, there's another Indiana's at 13. How do you like that fit? You know, they got Brogdon, obviously. Karis Levert um, will have a full season, hopefully, next season. Jeremy Lamb. Um, TJ McConnell is a free agent, so, you know, we don't know what ha- happens with him. Possibly Giddy could come in and fill that TJ McConnell role as a backup point guard, you know, playing behind the likes of Brogdon and Levert. That could be a pretty nice fit as well, especially... Um, they've got Rick Carlisle next season. Um, yeah, granted, that's what I was going to bring up. Granted, I think... 
granted Rick Carlisle isn't known for developing young players. Obviously, Doncic was an outlier. Um, but, I mean, that could be a pretty nice fit for him as well. I think one of those two teams, that 12 and 13, if if he's there, I'll be stunned if if he falls past those two. Yeah, look, and I, I was going to bring up the paces. I think if you had asked me this while Bjorkman was still the coach, I would have said no. But, but I don't think Giddy would have thrived in that sort of environment. Yes. Um, but, and look, yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. Rick Carlisle's not really a, a development coach. He's a results coach. Um, yeah. But if you can at least put Giddy behind, you know, Brogdon and Levert, there's definitely worse backcourts to learn off. And I think yeah. when you look at with someone like Brogdon being Giddy's mentor, is they're very similar play styles. Like Brogdon's not an elite athlete by any means either. He's a guy who is more about that fundamental quote unquote style of play, you know, coming out of the Virginia system as well, where that's pretty much all they're known for is developing yes. solid guys. So if you've got this yeah. guy that's been in the league for uh, what, how long it's now, but six, seven, eight, whatever he's been in the league, Brogdon, yeah. like he's, he knows how to use his limitations and his style of play. And he's made a really, really good career. Obviously rookie of the year, it's a second round pick. Um, yeah, no, sure you know, to what to what he's become now with that extension with Indiana. So if, if Giddy yeah. learns off that, at least how to play that style of basketball, that's definitely a, a really good mentor for him as well. So that's a good shout. Yeah, I think I think those two, you know, then after that you got again the Warriors at 14. We don't know who the hell is going to be picking there. Um, if it is Golden State, I don't see them really going for Giddy. Although that's a warriors he sort of Steve Kerr likes that sort of guy. So, I mean, at 14, if they're still there, I mean... I think there's been reports, he, hasn't there, that Longley's been on the phone to Steve Kerr about Josh Giddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, I mean, him at 14 there, if, if the Warriors keep that pick, I mean, could come in and, and on that team be... He could be the, the Sean Livingston for them, you know, the guy who runs the bench unit. Um, Put him out there with Clay and Steph, uh, Clay and Tremon, which is usually usually their bench. Those two guys are on the bench like that. That that'll be a nice situation for him as well. Yeah, right. But I think that he's that range, twelve to fourteen. Yeah, like he won't yeah, get past. I'd him. say that's. I'd be very surprised if he falls out of the lottery, or like any further than a couple spots out of the lottery. Yeah, no, definitely. Right, so usually I put out a tweet asking for, you know, questions and like never expecting answers, but just, you know, see what's out there. Um, yeah. We actually got a few back, which is, um, I'll be honest, rare. So we'll go through these now just to wrap it up. Um, first of all, I want to ask my question to you. My yep. first question is from me, and will the New York crowd boo their pick? Absolutely, every single time. And it's the, it's the 19th pick. So it's going to be like some poor kid who's like picking 19 is like probably going to be one of the highlights of his NBA career getting drafted. And he's just going to be ruined. Who will it be around there? I'm just trying to think which sort of guys. That no, I, I'm, I'm admittedly, I, I would have no idea with a lot of these guys. But say, I'm just looking at the athletics draft guide. Like you got Corey Kispert from Gonzaga at 18. Like I could so see him got, getting picked by the Knicks. He's 22 years old, like, yeah, and just getting absolutely booed. So, well, that's yeah, the thing with New York. Once they fixate on their prospect, it's like anyone else is terrible. Yeah. 
Uh, well, that'll be interesting to see. Maybe they don't even keep that pick. You know, maybe maybe they're a trade candidate. You know, going coming off a playoff run. I mean, there's been talks of Colin Sexton you're going there, so maybe the Cavs are pay, picking that. You know, you never know. Yep. All right. Now to the uh, serious questions. Uh, yep. First question comes in from Lachlan Everett. Um, does this class have more ex- uh, expectations than the last class, especially considering they'll get summer league and a, a more preseason? Yeah, uh, that's a very good point from Lockie. I think yes. Um, just off the bat, before we even talk about the summer league aspect, I think this class has touted a lot higher than last year. So just based on that, I think they have more expectations. Um, Cause like, like we've spoken before, like a guy like Jalen Suggs would have been the number one pick last year. So when that guy is your fourth best prospect in this year's draft, naturally there's going to be expectations that are higher. There's no question. And then the, the point Lockie brings up with summer league and more preseason is a very, very valid one. Like that's, I think guys will be able to come in and contribute quicker than they did last year. Even though the rookies last year, to be honest, performed better than I personally thought. Um, you know, a yeah. lot of guys have really, really pretty productive years. You're talking about Halliburton, uh, Anthony Edwards Bay, um, uh, Lamelo Ball, obviously. Isaac Okoro, you know, guarded the best offensive player every night for Isaiah the Cavs. Stewart as well. I think, um, Stewart, yeah. So, so the, uh, yeah, they were good. Yeah. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think that they do have a lot more expectations. There's no question. Yeah, I mean, with, with last year's class, that there were so many excuses ready for them. You know, valid because, like, yeah, they got robbed of their summer league and a lot of their preseason. Um, and just you know, yeah. it, it's probably the worst time in to, to uh, the worst time to come into the league as a rookie. Um, yeah. But definitely, I think as a as a whole, that it was a really strong rookie class in the end. Um, yeah. But yeah, like you said, this year definitely that before you take into account all the um, the macro factors of having a preseason, having summer league, um, yeah. just on the talent level, this class is already um, have a higher expectation. So yeah, that's exactly right. But it, it is a great point from Lockie because I haven't even thought of that distinction. Um, yeah. So I guess it's, it's not it's not so much the expectations. There'll, there'll definitely be, I think, more pressure for them to, to perform earlier, if that makes yeah. sense, rather than... Yeah. Like, there's yeah. no excuses really. There's no macro excuse for this class that there was for the last one. No, you're absolutely right. And and you know the guys from last year, like they, a lot of them got their college season cut short as well. Like the season's pretty yeah. much ended in March. Like that's a long time. Yeah. When did the season start? NBA season start in December. Like that's you know nine months off your feet. Exactly. Like, it's yeah. Not easy. So, and I think last year's class the the 2020 draft i think it's a class that i compare it to 2011 like the 2011 draft i remember at the time people were comparing it to like the 2000 class in terms of like being one of the weakest but like yeah but but like that's a class that in time has aged very very well you know a lot of lot a lot of useful guys you know Kyrie was obviously Mm -hmm. number one but you had clay thompson you had um, Kawhi Leonard, you had Vucevic, you had uh, Jimmy Butler went 30, IT, IT obviously yeah. was last. Like, 
I see this this class the same, like just from the amount of guys that were able to be productive players in their rookie year, I think it's mm-hmm. a class that's going to age really well. Yeah, that 2011 class was known actually for the end of the first round rather than the lottery. Um, such was the strength of it. Yeah, and it was. Obviously, like Kawhi being 15th, but then, yeah, Butler being 30th, Vucevic being down there. There were other guys that I can't think of off the top of my head, but, like, definitely, like, just that Kimber strength. Walker. And then... Kemba Walker. Walker went... um, yeah, there's... But then, like, yeah, like you say, like, it's... Like, it was known as, like, I guess, a decent class, but, like, it wouldn't have been... Anything to write home about Reggie Jackson going 24th in that class, Bogdanovich 31st, um, Davis Bertans was in that class in the uh, 40s, um, the Morris twins were in that class, yeah, 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 no, the Morris twins, Tobias Harris is 19. It's a pretty loaded class, just all throughout, yeah. I mean, you know, a guy like Tobias Harris at 19, like that's pretty, that's pretty much the ceiling of what you expect of a 19th week, I would say. So, yeah, honestly, it, it's pro- he's probably entering a conversation of um, uh, best non-All-Stars in the league at this point in his career. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, next question from Matty. Uh, there's one blockbuster trade that involves a team trading an All-Star for a top pick. Who is it and what's the deal? I guess we kind of touched on it with Bradley Beal. It's like if there's going to be a, an All-Star that leaves it, it's it's probably Beal. Yeah. I, I think, you know, obviously the immediate one we all thought of was Ben Simmons. But, you know, I don't think Daryl Morey is the type of guy who's going to trade. I mean, Simmons's trade value has got to be at its lowest. Like, and yes. I just don't see Daryl Morey as the type of guy who's going to just cave into, like, Twitter pressure and, like, trade a guy when value is at its lowest, if, you know? Like, if it was Brian Colangelo, we might be a different argument. Yeah, like, I, the whole reason why I'm not, like, as doomy about the Philly situation as I would have otherwise been is because Maury's there. Like, he's a smart dude. Like, he'll just he'll figure it out, you know? And so, yeah, I think if there is anyone that is going to be traded who's a all-star caliber guy, I think it is Bradley Beal, um, just because... The Portland situation, like, I think it's just more Dame putting pressure on them to sort of do sort of what Milwaukee did in trading for Drew Holiday. Like, he wants them to go all out and bring some help in, and I think that's not unreasonable. Um, But I don't see him getting dealt, especially not this soon when he's got still, what, four years left on his deal, I think. So with, I guess, the difference between Dame and, uh, sorry, between Lillard and Lillard, no, I can't speak, between Lillard and Beal's situations yeah. is, like, Lillard's Blazers have been, like, on the cusp of, I guess, legitimate Western Conference final contention, at least, for, like, yeah. three, four years now. Like, CJ McCollum, Robert Covington, Nurkic. Um, it's, a, it's an unspectacular group, but it's a very effective group together. When yeah. you, whereas you look at... You look at Bradley Beal and the Washington team that he's got, and it's it's pretty much Beal and friends. Like Hachimura is a good prospect, but he's a prospect. Mm. Thomas Bryant, yeah. unfortunately, tearing his ACL. Um, there's not uh, probably missing someone obvious, but there's not 
much outside of Beal that makes you go, well, if Washington can get that extra piece, they can, you know, catapult yeah. up the rankings because it's really nah, – it, it, it is really just Beal. Yeah, they're a while away. I think it's fair to say that. And I think it's I think it's a testament to the the kind of guy Beal is actually that he hasn't agitated for trade earlier. To be honest, um, uh, but yeah, I think so. To answer the question, if if there is someone who is most likely to get traded on on draft night or before the draft, yeah, I would say Beal, and then. I mean, yeah, the team, Golden State's been linked. We, we don't know where. That, that's the obvious one. Um, you know, could, I don't know, could maybe New Orleans, they have the 10th pick. Like, could they package that with with some future stuff maybe or, or like a player? Um, yeah. You know, they, the Kings, they have some overlap there. They're, they're obviously a team that's trying to make the postseason. Like, that's, that could be... A sort of. Uh, uh, Would you give up Halliburton for the Kings to get Beal? Sorry. Would you give up Halliburton to get Beal if you were the Kings? Mm. And also, before you answer, I, I said I'm probably forgetting someone obvious. I forgot Russell Westbrook. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a tough one. I mean, I I absolutely loved Halliburton's rookie year. You know, and. He came in and he just looked like he had played the game for 10 years, like just so polished. And he's still still only 21. Like I'd I'd to be honest, I'd I'd probably trade De'Aaron Fox before I trade Halliburton, to be perfectly honest. Okay. I was thinking more yeah. of the fit with Fox and Beal. Um, but I guess you can probably just slide Halliburton over the one or Beal becomes yeah. like the fact that point guard that like I like the point guard doesn't mean anything anymore, but yeah. Yeah, I think I think yeah. If I I'd probably rather trade Fox to be honest, because yeah, I think I'm very very high on what Halliburton could potentially become. Yeah, I don't think you'll find a bigger De'Aaron Fox guy on the internet that is not a Sacramento Kings fan than myself. I don't know what it is. I just I, love him. I, I love De'Aaron too. Like, don't get me wrong. I I love that backcourt. Like, so if they, I'd actually be like. If I'm them, I'd just keep that backcourt. Like they don't have to bring in Bill. But yeah, if if it if you are trading one, I'd probably yeah uh, keep Halliburton. Yeah. But yeah, like the obvious answer is Bill to Golden State, isn't it? Like it's the yeah. rumored one, like Golden State has the assets to like, you know, packaging the two first rounders, maybe someone like um Kelly Ubre is or is he a free agent? I haven't properly looked. Um or, you know, Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. The, the point is, well, like, could, could the, there be a, have the assets and the draft guys? Could, could there be a Washington and Philly deal where it's a Simmons Beal swap? Like, I mean, potentially. I, I don't know if you'd want to put Simmons with Westbrook unless they, they're planning on getting rid of Westbrook as well. Yeah. Um, well, if you're doing that, I was also, uh, yeah. Yeah, if you're doing that, you're sort of okay. This is Ben Simmons. This is your franchise now. Like that, that could be obviously Bill and Bill and Embiid together would be sensational. Um, yes, yes, it would. Like that's that's the type of guy Philly needs. Is that guy who can he can do a bit of facilitating? No, he's not a point guard, but 
more more than that he can create his own shot that's what philly needs more than anything yeah um, i mean the question that yeah I was, I was trying to operate more like yeah obviously not not much of a, a top pick um yeah it's, it's a, with that trade yeah that's more of a contention um, but yeah like so the, the thing with the thing with philly and why i don't think like one of my takes on why i don't think it's worked is you've got you've got ben simmons is obviously a great player but he's most effective in pick and roll and his number two was his i guess his um you know his other banana like his second guy mm-hmm. joel Embiid, is best as an iso guy so you've got these yeah. two stars with completely yeah. conflicting play styles and yeah. they've made it's actually a credit that they've made it work as well as they have. No, nah, no question. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's I, I, look. I don't know if they'll trade Simmons, but I, I think that race is like that team is pretty much capped out as a you know second round, maybe a token fi- uh, conference finals appearance. But yeah, yeah, I think unless so. they unless unless Embiid gets better in pick and roll, which I don't think there really is any need for him to. Yeah, it's probably. Yeah. In, in everyone's best interest to trade Simmons. Well, that's the thing. If you're if you're Embiid, you're the best guy on the team, and you're probably sitting there yeah. thinking, "Well, why do I have to change my game to fit this guy?" You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I, I I agree with you. Like I was for a long time, I was like, "No, you know, you shouldn't trade these guys. Keep them together. They've won games." And but. I think from what we saw in the postseason, like, yeah, that's definitely, like, run its course. And then when you talk about what the comments that came immediately after Game 7, like, that, yeah, that relationship is done. Yeah. Uh, the final question we got, um, which actually came through while we were recording, so it snuck it in there from Warwick Ahern. Uh, will Cade Cunningham be the unanimous rookie of the year? Hmm. No, I don't think so. Not unanimous. I don't think so either. I don't, th- yeah. yeah, definitely not unanimous either. There's too, there's too much talent for him to be unanimous. I think, I think there could be a few guys who have really, really productive rookie seasons. Um, Jalen Green, Jalen Green's probably his number one threat for that because, um, I, like I said before, he can just come in and give you points from day one, and he's got a, he's got a game that's you know going to translate well to the league and it's it's going to be a very um highlight heavy you know style of play that that's going to attract people and and attract voters exactly right yeah so yeah a lot of these awards are stat based and stat driven so exactly and if he goes to houston like he's just going to get every possession you know like he's going to put up his numbers there's no question yeah, absolutely right. And like more often than not, rookie of the year is based on just raw numbers. It's like, um, you know, generally most points wins it. Um, yeah, it's not like they're not looking at you know offensive rating and and you know they're not looking at you know real real plus no. minus and value over replacement player and all those advanced. <laughs> no, nah, none of that. It's it's no. it's who gets buckets. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Or and who so provides no, buckets no, in the no, case I of Melo? I don't think Cade will, will go unanimous. No, I, I, it would take the most optimistic uh, Pistons, I'm speaking into existence, the most optimistic Pistons fan to say <laughs> Cade would be the unanimous rookie of the year. I think he's still the rookie of the year favourite, no doubt. Um, I think so. But, 
yeah, like unanimous that you'd, you'd have to get a uh, hundred first place votes from a hundred people all around the league. Yeah, and if it if like if there's a reason to like, all we have to remember with the voting is that it's beat guys from all over the place. So you've got like every team has you know a couple of reps in the pool. Yeah. Um, so if Galen Green just goes off and has like a, a great season, um, sorry, if they both go off and have a great season. Let's yeah, say Cade like, has the clearly the clearly better season. He averages like twenty points, eight assists, whatever, and Jalen Green averages like you know fourteen points a game and like three assists or whatever. Houston guys are just going they're just going to pick Jalen Green because he's good, not because he's been better than Cunningham, but because he's good for them. Absolutely. So it's like absolutely, absolutely. no, you're spot on. Um, but yeah, I mean. That'll bring us to the end of another episode of Beyond the Fence. So, Chris, thanks for coming on. Where can our listeners find you? Um, yeah, all my stuff um, is on the Wide World of Sports website, so www.os.com.au um, and Twitter at cdesilva23. Um, fire tweets all the time. Hot takes are plenty uh, in any sport, so... Yeah, check it out. Yes, noted New Zealand Warriors fan, Krista Silva. Ah, uh, yeah. My Reese Walsh is our um, is our Cade. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and you can and obviously follow really me. Fun, man. It's been really fun. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Um, obviously, everyone knows by now. Well, you can follow me at Ben S Quag, and you can follow the podcast at Beyond T Fence or. Uh, beyondthefence.com.au for sporadic articles like maybe once a month when I have time to turn my real job. Um, but other than that, yeah, thanks for coming on and we'll see you all next time.